Good morning. Welcome to the Sean Pittman Show. And if you're tuning in right now, thank you for tuning in. But do me a favor. Text someone, call someone, and tell them that the show is beginning. And an important show today uh, because there's a lot has happened this week. Uh, we saw Biden come out and say he's pulling our troops out of Afghanistan. Um, we also saw uh, another couple trillion dollars being proposed for relief. And just so much going on. And if you're paying attention to what's going on in the Florida legislature, all I can tell you is, man, y'all need to pay attention to what's going on. Uh, there are things happening that will change uh, your life. And I wish we had the time to go through everything. But I'm just simply going to tell you, pay attention to what your elected officials are doing. Um, you voted for them to come to Tallahassee. Uh, to do the work of the people and you ought to pay attention so that you can make a decision whether they are so you know we roll these shows out and we do it you know we try to do one or two subjects a week but it gets hard because there's so much going on and obviously we also saw that johnson and johnson uh, vaccine had an issue a problem that is being dealt with uh, we saw that they pulled it back uh, for more testing. Um, I thought it was a great opportunity to bring a friend on the show who knows about all these issues. And if you are woke, as our folks would say, you heard of Dr. Kevin Steed. And uh, because he's been all around uh, talking about these issues, uh, I've known him for a very, very long time. And he's always been what he is today. And that is right <laughs> on most things. He's always been right. Uh, so y'all help me, listeners, welcoming uh, Dr. Kevin Sneed to the Sean Pittman Show. Dr. Sneed, how you doing? Hey there, my good friend. How are you doing? I'm very happy to be here with you this morning. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. And now for those of us, uh, you know, there you got a lot of fans, but we're up here in North Florida, so some people may not know you as well as others, uh, but you're the Senior Associate Vice President of University of South Florida Health and the Dean of the College of Pharmacy there. Uh, before we get into some heavy stuff, tell tell the folks how you how you got where you are. Yeah, well, um, a number of different a number of years ago, I, I, I completed a, a biology and microbiology degree at the University of Central Florida and was really heading down the pathway of going to get a PhD in immunology. Um, but really wanted much more patient care. I pivoted and went to pharmacy school at Xavier University where really had just an outstanding education and really had an opportunity to interact with uh, Tulane Medical School, LSU Medical School, a number of nursing schools. Uh, had a, a wonderful clinical environment. Uh, did a, completed a residency, much like you hear about medical residencies. I did a pharmacy residency. Uh, I was a professor at Florida A&M College of Pharmacy for about a seven year period and then 
uh, transitioned here uh, here at, at the University of South Florida and became the founding dean for our College of Pharmacy. And and uh, we've done extremely well. I've you know, been a very innovative, but I've maintained that clinical practice for a 21 year period in the Department of Family Medicine. So I'm here with you today and, and COVID-19 really is something that we really need to get the word out about. Well, I, I don't want to leave out that you're the founding dean of the College of Pharmacy at University of South Florida, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I am. I am the founding dean. And I'm very humbled and privileged. And in a very short amount of time, we've risen to national prominence and, and really are known as the uh, pharmacy program that's innovative and looking to the future of healthcare. Well, I, you know, and, and all of that. And so listeners, the credentials are real. And you, you've you heard where he's been and, and, and what he's achieved. I, I, I will say I appreciate you not mentioning that other school down over there uh, in that other place down there a couple hours away uh, i think y'all call i think the colors are sky blue and and pink um, <laughs> uh, he is a florida he did go to university of florida y'all but but yeah all his most important degrees came from from other police other places i think but I, I kid i kid we 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 recognize that that university of florida is a great great school even up here uh, where we where we have another school we consider the state's flagship. Uh, now, Dr. Sneed, uh, we've seen the vaccine rollout process accelerate over the last few weeks. What are you seeing or hearing about the effectiveness of the of the vaccine rollout itself? Well, we have to keep in mind, um, even going back to the clinical trials last year, and, and the first thing I really want to mention, Sean, is the fact that people uh, have this impression that. Uh, after COVID-19 started, uh, we all woke up uh, on April of 2020 and we walked into a laboratory and started trying to create vaccines. And that's, nothing could be further from the truth. The actual truth is that we've been working on the messenger RNA platforms for these vaccines for at least an eight-year period. And that began during the Obama administration. And so he was the first one to really put a, a, a large amount of money, $150 million, into the research that has now developed both the Pfizer and the Moderna um, uh, vaccines that we see today. Uh, now, when we did the clinical trials, uh, you know, they had 95% effectiveness in both Moderna and Pfizer. And, um, and, and even the Johnson & Johnson product, which I'm sure we're going to talk a, a great deal about in just a moment, even though people perceive it to have a lower uh, effectiveness, uh, when you take into account, number one, they encountered the the, the variants uh, around the around the world, really, in South Africa and, and a few in, in South America, uh, we have found them to be very effective in terms of producing the antibodies and protecting people against severe di disease. And all three, by the way, have, have been proven to be almost 100% at preventing severe disease and having uh, a very marked improvement in terms of prevention of hospitalization. So we have to keep in, in context that all of that, since they have come on the market, has remained true, not only here in the United States, but around the world. They are being being very protective. Um, they're still more than 90% effective for uh, against people contracting the actual virus. And then moving forward, uh, we have no reason to think that that's going to change. Well, and I'm glad to hear you say that. And so for our listeners out there, uh, Dr. Sneed is still saying that these vaccines are safe and, there's, and it's something that we need to do. So uh, you heard that before we get into anything else and want to make sure that that registers with you. Now, Dr. Sneed, unfortunately, uh, we did see the CDC recommend pausing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine due to risk of blood clots. 
Do you think that was the right choice? And, and, and should we expect that vaccine back in circulation soon? Well, you know, I do, I do believe it was the right choice. And what it should do, by the way, is provide confidence to people out in the public that we have uh, continued surveillance and monitoring of everything that happens, happens around the vaccines. Um, and there's been transparency. I mean, they did not hesitate. They let people know. And the most important thing they did, to be honest, is make sure that, that uh, physicians and pharmacists and nurse practitioners and other people, everybody involved in healthcare, that they have access to the information as well so that they can uh, inform their patients. I do believe that we are going to resume it. And it's a very important thing that I need to mention to all of our listeners that the, the, this very specific type of clot that has developed, um, and it's called a cerebral venous uh, 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 thrombosis, is very rare. It, it was already rare to begin with, but now we have about one in one million people currently that have that, that we see have, that have developed this particular type of clot. It is serious when it develops, but long before the vaccines came out, Sean, the incidence of that particular type of clot here in the United States was three to four people per one million people without any vaccine. Wow. Wow. So so we ha- so so we so we have to really keep in mind that what we're witnessing, uh, it, it, it may be artifact. It may not be real. It may not be uh, a causation. Um, but that's why we're going to take a pause and do the research. And, and if anything else, we're going to try and figure out what's the profile of the people who are most at risk. Even when we heard about this happening overseas uh, with the AstraZeneca product over in Europe, uh, it tends to lean very, very heavily towards women. It tends to uh, lean very heavily towards younger women between the age of 18 and 55. And so now we need to figure out what are the common threads that go there so that we can make a recommendation about potential people that need to avoid it. But for the rest of us, I think we're going to find that it still it will remain a very effective uh, strategy in terms of protecting us against the virus. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Kevin Sneed, the uh, senior associate vice president of USF Health and the dean, first dean, founding dean of the College of Pharmacy at the University of South Florida. And he just got finished giving us some real history on this blood clot situation uh, that Johnson & Johnson vaccine is experiencing right now. And I think Doc, that you're really trying to say that though precautions need to be taken by the CDC and other governmental entities that make decisions, that the chance of this is extremely, extremely rare. It is, it is excessively rare at this current moment. I mean, you know, we never really talk about it, but people go and buy medications over the counter all the time that have a much higher prevalence of, of causing problems. Uh, than what we are currently experiencing with this Johnson & Johnson episode. Uh, so I know it's been sensationalized. Uh, it is serious. We have to pay attention to it. But again, uh, when you talk about less than one person per one million at this current moment for a condition that even without the vaccines, you know, it's up to four people per one million were already getting this condition. Uh, it really does make sure, you know, we have to make sure that we're putting it in context and having people understand that, we still believe this is going to be a very safe vaccine moving forward. Well, it's just unfortunate, though, because, as you know, we've seen some significant vaccination hesitation within the black community. And when you add this to it, you wonder, oh, boy, uh, did we take two steps forward and then one giant step back um, because of this problem that we couldn't control? 
But going back to just the original thought that there is some hesitation in the black community, why do you believe that's the case? And, and, and how can medical professionals assure everyone that the vaccine is safe and effective? Uh, well, Mr. Pittman, I can tell you and tell the audience here, I've done an enormous amount of work over a 15-year period in terms of health disparities and working out in African-American and Latino communities. Uh, the first thing that I will share is that, you know, we all understand and remember the Tuskegee experiment. So the, the hesitation that people are feeling is real, is warranted. We have to acknowledge it. Uh, and But we also have to have understanding that there are people like myself, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Leon McDougall of Ohio State, uh, Dr. Kismikia Corbett, uh, an African-American researcher that, that really led the team that developed the Moderna vaccine and a whole score of other people that are really providing oversight, number one, over this entire process around the vaccines and around health disparities and health inequities overall. That's number one. Number two, when it comes down to the African-American community, the most important thing I share with people is that there is nothing about these vaccines. I don't care which one you pick, whether it be Pfizer, Moderna, or the Johnson & Johnson product, there's nothing about the current vaccines that is more dangerous to us than contracting the actual virus. And we have to understand that. And we have to be, and really, be, really begin to understand that in the early part of COVID-19, Black people were dying at three times the rate of our white counterparts. Okay, when 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 we got when we got the virus, we died at three times the rate. Now that number has uh, come down to about 1.5 times, but it's still a disparity. And so, for people to say, "Well, I don't want, I'm going to take the chance. I don't trust the vaccine." Well, I don't trust the virus because if you contract it, not only do you have an enhanced and increased risk of dying. Number one, what we're now finding, and this is brand new research coming out. One in three people that become infected are probably going to wind up with some type of neurological or psychological uh, condition uh, uh, up to six, uh, at least six months out from being infected. And, and so the, the long-term consequences of being infected by this virus uh, are things that may last with us for a very long time. So, uh, for, so for, for black and brown people, uh, we really have to do more to try and protect ourselves and just simply thinking that uh, I'm not going to take the vaccine and, and if I get it, I, well, I know people who have gotten over it. That's not the effective strategy that we need to use right now. Wow. And I and I hear you saying that, you know, the long term implications of having uh, of, of actually attracting the virus, you're going to live with the potential of other things with that for a period of time. And that's scary in and of itself and more scary than a vaccine that we know is new and we never heard of. But I love when you say, you know, people say they don't trust the vaccine, but I don't trust the virus. That's powerful. And I appreciate you saying it because it's a it's a new way uh, to sort of market this thing. Uh, this virus is, should not be uh, it, it's not trustworthy. And I think the other thing is what you can trust is it can potentially cause you problems long term. But, Doc, outside the issues of the single dose vaccine, uh, have we seen any other widespread problems with the vaccines, maybe uh, as it relates to elderly uh, folks or with pregnant mothers? Not even close. Um, as a matter of fact, we really have to begin to reimagine what's happening. We've had over 100,000 people uh, who have been uh, vaccinated here in, the, in, the, in this country, and really uh, well over 150 million doses total have been administered to people. 
and we really haven't seen any long-term effects on uh, the things that people were worried about just are not unfolding in communities. I can tell you that the CDC has a, a very strong recommendation that pregnant women uh, become vaccinated with the uh, either the, the, the uh, Moderna or the Pfizer uh, vaccines right now because we're finding that pregnant women are at increased risk of having very serious problems uh, that can lead to death, long-term effect, and harm to the, uh, to the baby. Uh, there have been a number of women who have had to go into emergency C-section to save the baby just in time because the mother was dying. And so the risk, oh, by, and Sean, this is very important because I get this question all the time, and, and, and I've done 75 uh, community presentations on in, in the Zoom platform with our, our community partner reach up and I get this question um, well, can, you know, about infertility well during the clinical trials women were not allowed to be pregnant upon entering the clinical trial but as human nature would have it during the clinical trial a large number of women became pregnant and we monitored and, and followed all those people there was no harm to the developing baby there was no harm to the mother whatsoever and now they're actually showing that some of these children have been born uh with the actual antibodies with the antibodies right yeah yeah we need to see that so yes um there's nothing there's nothing dangerous about the vaccine that, that is more dangerous than the virus yeah and i appreciate you again i appreciate you bringing that home because what i what, what i worried about coming into this week was you know are we going to be compounded with people being afraid to take the vaccine because there's been um, an issue and I'm glad to hear you say that this issue is an issue to to monitor Uh, we should take a, a step back to deal with it but there's nothing about this issue that should make people hesitate any further as it relates to this this vaccine because this vaccine will save your life as it relates to COVID. And I know in your profession and folks like you all over the country, there's not many of y'all, but talking about the few that, that rise to your level, uh, you're all challenged with multiple layers, just with layers of this stuff as it relates to this whole time, 2020 and COVID. And do you see, do you feel though that we're getting to the point where we can see, uh, you know, the forest from the trees or the light at the end of the tunnel? Are the medical professionals thinking that we're getting there? I know what the politicians think. I just want to know what <laughs> the folks in the medical profession think. Yeah, there are two schools of thought right now. Uh, there are some that believe that we are going to have a, a fairly significant uh, fourth surge. I don't believe we're going to get into a full fourth surge, uh, to be perfectly honest, because I think we have, you know, I think we've vaccinated enough people that we are, we know we are going to have a surge. It will not reach the approach or, or the level that we saw uh, back during January and February, right after the holidays. But I do want to make a very important point. I know we're, going to, we're running out of time here, my good friend. Uh, you know, the pandemic is now being exclusively fueled by people from the age of 20 to 49. Okay, so if the if people between the age of 20 to 49, if they would continue to wear a mask, social distance, try to avoid enclosed areas like bar and grills or restaurants and in large areas and large groups, and then go and get vaccinated, we could probably cut this uh, pandemic and end it uh, by the time we get to the middle of the summer. Wow. So the other thing that we the other thing that we have to hear is that by June 1, because of our 
uh, our economy, uh, some of the elected officials, everything's going to open up by June 1. So whoever is not protected by then, the virus will not be gone and it will find you. So we need people to go out and get vaccinated, as many people to get vaccinated as, uh, as possible right now, especially the younger people, because right now it's the young people that are filling up the hospitals all around the country. Wow, man, that's scary. You saying it like that, man, <laughs> you say that the virus is going to find you. It's getting stronger and it will find you. Um, but it's the kind of thing our folks need to hear. So thank you for for not sugarcoating it and for taking time out your schedule, man, to come and spend this time with us. Uh, just uh, thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for for trying to help um, educate us and translate this whole deal into language that we can all understand so listen man keep up the great work and i really really appreciate you taking this time with us dr sneak well sean i can't thank you enough for the platform that you put together all the work that, that you do that we see doing that we see you doing but very often people never really see all the work that you really do that's really helping so many of us in so many communities not only here in florida but across the nation so uh, thank you for the opportunity to come on and share this information. All right. Well, thanks again. We'll talk soon because I want to keep up with you. Uh, listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back with a Pittman Point right after this. You're listening to The Sean Pittman Show. It's time for Pittman's Point. Welcome back, y'all. This week, the world saw two more examples of black men being brutalized at the hands of police. Just outside of where the trial of George Floyd's murder is ongoing, y'all. We couldn't even get through this trial without another murder of an unarmed black man. Dante Wright was killed at the hands of law enforcement. We saw it on tape. A professionally trained police officer shouted, Taser, 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 and then proceeded to shoot Dante Wright in the chest with her sidearm. She said she mistaked the real gun for the taser. Okay, y'all. To add to that, U.S. Army Medical Officer Karan Nazario was pulled over in Virginia, approached by police with their guns drawn and assaulted by those police officers. They gave him confusing orders, taunted him and pepper sprayed him in the face as his hands stretched out the window um, at their order. Frankly, Lieutenant Nazario is lucky to be alive. And if you saw this, y'all, he was in full uniform and he said to them, I'm afraid to get out, hands out of the car. And the officer replied, you should be afraid. Wouldn't that make you afraid? <laughs> I, that, that I would if I wasn't afraid, I would certainly be afraid after an officer told me I should be afraid. These incidents and every incidents like them, they're all tragic. Every time something like this hits our public consciousness, we again find ourselves shocked by the injustices and the brutality of those sworn to keep us safe. But are we really shocked anymore? How many times have we been looking at one instance, investigating it, it being in court, live on national news, and another one happens right after it or during the process of it. That has happened several times. So are we really surprised? Are we really shocked? Are we surprised every time a black man comes in contact with law enforcement and either walks away bloodied or is carried away in handcuffs or a body bag? We're not surprised anymore, are we? The Pitman Point today 
is thank God for people like Attorney Benjamin Crump. While progress seems slow, while lives are still cut short, voices like those of Attorney Crump work every day to hold accountable those who have done wrong. And as we wait for the verdict of the trial of George Floyd's murder and the fate of Dante Wright's killer, the sad reality is we unfortunately also wait for the next instance, the next black life that doesn't matter to whoever took it. But we still wake up and we get up and we fight another day. This has been the Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you in seven.